Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we're talking about scaling on Facebook ads and how things are shifting and changing and how you should be scaling right now with your e-commerce business. And, and I've got a guest today that I think you're going to absolutely be blown away by, both in terms of his podcast skills and in terms of his Facebook ad skills. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce Resources. That's right. Here at OMG Commerce, we want to help make sure you're educated and in the know to capitalize on the latest tips, tricks, and strategies to help you grow your e-commerce business. So if you go to omgcommerce.com and under resources, click on guides, we have some cutting edge free information for you on things like how to dominate with Amazon DSP ads or how to use Amazon sponsor brand video ads and how to craft the perfect ad. We have several guides on how to capitalize on YouTube ads from creating the perfect ad to knowing when you're ready to scale. Plus there's the newly updated Google shopping guide plus more. Check it all out at omgcommerce.com and click on guides under resources. And now back to the show. I'm delighted to welcome to the show He's the co-host of the Rich Ad, Poor Ad podcast. Love that title. One of one of the, the greatest podcast names uh, out there right now, in my opinion. Uh, he's also the uh, owner of Koala Tea, and that's like uh, the koala, the bear, and, and tea. Uh, koala Tea Media does a ton on Facebook. With that, Mr. Dylan Carpenter. What's up, Dylan? Welcome to the show. And uh, really stoked to be chatting with you, man. Yeah, Brett, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm getting sweaty listening to that intro. I'm like, man, hype. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love throwing out a good intro, you know, and 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 uh, you've earned it. You got a great business, you got a great podcast. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this chat. But you and I, we got to record a podcast. I, I'm going to be on your podcast either in the future or in the past, depending on when someone's listening to this. Uh, but we had, a, we had a blast. We thought, hey, let's 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 flip this. Get you on the e-commerce evolution podcast to talk Facebook ads. So here we are. Uh, but but tell me, Dylan, just like a quick background. How did you become a podcast host? And how did you become like a, a Facebook ad specialist in e-commerce? And so just kind of the, the quick, the quick story, if you can. Yeah. So for the podcasts, we kind of just fell into it. Um Zach and I were looking for something to do, to be honest, and he had a huge audience already. So we yeah, shout out to your business partner Zach, and a quick plug on Zach, <laughs> Zach Johnson, Funnel Dash. But <laughs> yeah, we had one called the Benchmark First. It was really metric oriented, like we wanted to know your you know CPA, your CAC, your ROAS, break even points. But it was a little too personal for businesses to share. Yeah. So Rich Ad Poor Ad came out. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to launch a podcast, but luckily we have a good team behind this. We got three people who do like the video editing, the transcription, the website, the blog post, the copy for all of us. It's, it's pretty, pretty nice. labor intensive, man. Like it, it, it really is a lot more work than I thought when we first started. We're like, oh, you just hit record and then like post it. And then see, like, no, there's a lot to, to do it right. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, so we, we kind of fell into it. And luckily, it's, we got 115, 116 episodes recorded right now. We've launched about 60, 65-ish. It's getting good traction. You know, we've had Billy Jean on, Neil Patel, so a lot of big names. And for Zach, it's, you know, it's a good funnel for Funnel Dash. But I mean, yeah. on my side, I just love to talk to badasses like you, you know, and just kind of network myself further and kind of get more out there to, you know, build my authority, essentially. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's about 80 to 100 bucks an episode to cost us right now. So it's slowly kind of racking up and we're fixing to launch some ads for the podcast actually too. So that'll be cool. But when it comes to like my bread and butter Facebook ads, I actually randomly fell into it um, on indeed.com. I graduated from Texas State here in Austin, you know, May of 2017. I did marketing with a sales concentration and I almost moved to Orlando, Florida to be a custom suit tailor at Tom James to pitch suits and sell suits. I played ice hockey. I loved suits. They looked fly. Which, which by the way, for someone watching, uh, watching rather than just listening, two things. One, you're rocking a killer stash right now. Uh, so I've got to give respect to the stash. So you need to watch video to see that. And then also, too, if you look in, in the background, you got you got a, a, a picture of the miracle on ice, which you've seen the movie Miracle, right? It's a great one. Uh, so you play hockey. So that's got to be like, is that your favorite movie of all time? Uh, I mean, you got the mural thing. So it's obviously important. It's up there. My dad won that in a poker tournament, to be honest. And I just okay. loved it. But it's signed by the whole team. So oh, it's awesome. it's pretty valid. I, I, I don't think it's, I, I couldn't sell it for 100 k but I'm probably never going to sell it. It's yeah. so sentimental at this point. 1980? When, yeah. when did that? 90, okay. Yeah, 80, like Placid, yeah. Okay, so you're going to move to Orlando, be a suit tailor, and then you thought, no, I'm going to do Facebook ads instead. Yeah, yeah, they flew me out. I didn't like it. Um, So my brother worked at Accenture. I looked on Indeed, Accenture sales job, a random sales job popped up. I applied, got a call. It was for Facebook. So I went to interview there, got a job literally two hours after my interview. So I started as a marketing expert, knew nothing about Facebook ads. I boosted some posts in college to get people to come to our hockey games, but I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah, after three months there, realizing what I was learning, I was like, oh, this is lucrative. Mm-hmm. So I became a sponge, took like 10 pages of notes and journals and stuff, and really just asked a ton of questions. And after being there for a year, I left, started quality media and do a lot of freelance work. And it's been kind of history ever since. Yeah, I love it. And, and one of the reasons I want to have you on, one, you're, you're an awesome podcast host, also an awesome guest. But I love getting different people's perspective on how to run Facebook ads. As you know, I'm a YouTube guy and a Google guy and also Amazon ads. Not, not, I don't, I don't play in the, in the Facebook ad space, but I understand it decently well. And it's obviously a huge part of uh, most of our clients media mix. We will get into some of the, the new changes and, you know, iOS 14 scares and, you know, depending on when you listen to this, it, it could be heating up or it could be all in the past, but um Definitely want to address that as well. But I love getting different people's perspectives. And so as we look at scale, right? Because that's what, what every e-commerce brand wants, whether they're looking to, to sell their business or, or hold it and just grow it, increase the value. You want to achieve scale, right? So how do we achieve scale on, on Facebook? And, you know, like you and I were talking about, a lot of the people listening to the podcast are already running Facebook ads or just looking to take it to the next level or maybe things have stalled out or maybe they are dealing with I was 14 issues. So from a creative perspective, so the ads themselves, what do we need? What do we need to be thinking about so that we can really achieve scale? Yes. So creative is everything. You know, I know we're going to talk about ad account structure, you know, campaign structure, which will tie into this at some point, but creative is everything. It's not about the audiences, the bids. It's all your creative, basically. So what's really helped us scale, I think, is creative. And one quick, just one quick thing I'll add to that. Sorry to interrupt. But so uh, Google put together this, this study. They've got a group called Unskippable Labs, and they study YouTube ads that people don't skip and, and stuff. But they, they, they came, came up with the statistic that 
50 to 80% of your success on YouTube is driven by the ad itself. And then the rest is media, bids, budget, stuff like that. Do you think, and obviously it's kind of hard to quantify, right? Like some ways it may just be made up, but I don't know. So do you think that's probably similar on Facebook? Like 50 to 80% of your success is the ad itself and then the rest is media? Or, or how would you, you know, just best your expert opinion, how would you frame that? It's a really good question. Now, this is where it gets tricky. It depends on your product and your conversion cycle. Mm -hmm. If I have a quick product that's pretty cheap, under maybe 30 bucks, then I want my ad just to, it's terrible to say we always optimize for purchase, but I want my ad to make someone click to go to the website to learn more and then buy the product. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other brands we have that are a little bit more high ticket to where we have to go more in depth on the ads themselves to more or less not sell them in the ad, but just kind of reel them in. And then of course we have other hefty ways of retargeting, but it kind of varies to be honest with you because it really depends on that kind of conversion cycle. What, what was the question again? I'm sorry. So what, what percentage of your success is, is determined by the ad itself, right? So so like you said the ad is everything. I was just giving a little quantification there from Google's perspective that they say 50 to 80% of your success is the ad and not the media and, and the campaign structure and stuff like that. I would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have so many accounts that I even run ads for where the, 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 the click-through rates are killer, the cost per clicks are killer, but hey, there's a product page issue. So I would say uh, it's probably similar to Google there, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so awesome. So I, I derailed you, but but you, ad is everything. So what do we need to be thinking about in terms of getting our ads to scale? What kind of budget do you have, basically? Because, I mean, for the account we have spending, you know, 70K a month, I'll kind of dive into versus somebody spending 10K a month. We test, for the 70K a month, we test 10 new creatives every single week. That could be three or four different creatives, uh, different thumbnails, and then kind of mixing some copy there. But I want 10 different creative variations every single week being tested, basically. If somebody's spending 10K a month, I would probably say two to four kind of creatives a week to kind of test out because... Everything dies. It's like life. Your creative's going to die, so you always need to be testing. And depending on your budget, I always allocate 10% of our budget strictly for testing. And that way, I'll have like our winning ads, testing ads, and I kind of feed our testing ads into our winning ad campaigns, which I'll kind of go more into the structure side, but it's just kind of having a, a control versus a variable substance kind of for the most part. So it's kind of case by case there. But what you need is not crap loads of content, but relevant content. And I've gotten myself in trouble here before. It's where I was telling clients, send me as much content as possible. The more the merrier. When in reality, that wasn't really the case. So where I just had a crap load of content to kind of, you know, really go through and it wasn't the most relevant. So I had to kind of take a step back and kind of rephrase everything I was, you know, pitching to clients more or less and be like, cool, we want a lot of content, but it has to be relevant to the actual, you know, the angle of the, the product and the audience themselves. It can't just be, hey, we got 10 different images here. They're all the same. One's black and white, one's colored, one's got a red button, one's got a green button. I want different angles there and different actual creatives where it's not just a color change. And I want to see how it kind of impacts there. So that's probably the biggest piece of it is actually kind of properly testing. And I always do this down rabbit holes, but I love creative testing campaigns versus control campaigns. So our control campaigns, they have all of our winning creatives in there basically. And those take up probably 70, 80% of the budget because I have retargeting, you know, creative testing as well. But I like to have, you know, two or three control campaigns, which I just scale up the budget with. I don't even touch unless the budget basically. 
Then for the other campaigns, it's super, it's kind of simple there to where I'll have a campaign for each creative test. Maybe it's every single week. Maybe it's every single day. Um, so where we just do broad targeting tests, two different creatives per ad sets, maybe three to kind of gauge what works best there. And after it's spent a statistically relevant amount, it's gotten some sales, we'll then bring our creative testing ads into our control campaign. Because the control campaign, it'll die off at some point just because the ads get, you know, creative fatigue. Sure. So this will be kind of swap it out there, but it's very important to kind of keep those separate because there's no reason to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I would say it's more of how you're structuring these creatives versus, you know, throwing an abundance out there and seeing what sticks. Cause another point of this is, and I had a call about this earlier, but with one of my clients is we had two ads, we were testing them both. One was getting really good sales. It had like maybe 20 sales and, you know, a terrible click through rate, a terrible cost per click, but it was profitable. The other ad we had wasn't profitable, maybe only had three or four sales, but it had a way better click-through rate and cost per click. Now in Facebook's eyes, it was pushing more budget to the crappy ad because it had better front-end metrics when that wasn't the case. Right. So you kind of have right. to go micro. That, that's what Facebook looks at, right? They 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 are measuring more of that, the click, the, the engagement, depending on, on the goal you give for the campaign. But Spot on. So sometimes Facebook's not always right, and I'm sure it's the same with Google and YouTube. Yep. But it's good to kind of have some spin thresholds and actual goals to say, Hey, I'm not touching this until we spend, you know, or until we get 10,000 impressions to kind of gauge if it's relevant or not. And 10,000, eight, eight to 10,000 impressions is our sweet spot to kind of gauge does this work or not for the most part. So you're running an ad almost regardless of, of, um, performance in terms of generating sales to about eight to 10,000 impressions to really give it time to, to show what it's going to do. Yeah, and that can range anywhere from t- probably 250 bucks to 500 bucks per, you know, actual creative to test. Yeah. yeah, totally makes sense. Okay. Now that's like if it's a lower priced product like for a cosmetic brand the AOV is 45 40 50 bucks, that's perfect. Now for the other brand I'm scaling right now, you know, our CPA goal is $140, which is a lot more than, you know, hoping for a $20 CPA. So for them I typically give them a lot more time. I kind of look at our creative differently versus impressions to kind of gauge, you know, our goal is $140 CPA. I multiply that by three or four. And if we don't have a sale by that spend, I'll shut it off completely. Because I know it's a little bit pricier. It's going to take a little bit longer. So I like to give it a little bit more lead time, I should say. Makes sense. So so we're we're talking about, and, and depending on budget, and it does make sense that the, the, the number of creatives you need is somewhat dependent on your budget because more impressions, you know, the more you spend on an ad, the, the quicker it's going to potentially burn out, right? Um, so, so how do you approach that though? How do you approach, man, I got that 10 new ideas a week, 10 brand new ideas, or is it 10 variations? Or like, where, where do you, when, when you work with a client, where do you start? And how do you, how do you kind of set up this testing structure? And, and what, what are you thinking about in terms of, you know, the creative part of the ads? Yeah, so... Luckily, I have a better team now to kind of help me align this because it was getting messy with folders of hundreds of assets. So I kind of have my team helping me out to where he'll find, you know, five of his favorite creatives. He'll match those up. Then I have a copywriter who writes 10, you know, pieces of copy every single day. So they actually kind of mix and match these together and said, hey, here's for this week. Here's for this week. And that's been the biggest game changer because I, I hate saying it, but I mean, I, you know, I didn't have accountability. So maybe a week, I didn't want to do it, unfortunately. But now I'm kind of sticking to my guns there. So or, or, or a week, you don't feel inspired or something. And so you just don't get the headlines written. And, and yeah, Ex- yeah exactly. But you need to have some sort of framework. Um, 
I don't keep track of tests in an Excel sheet, but it that probably would be helpful. But all of our creatives are so different and different angles where I, I can kind of gauge. But if, you know, I were to hand over all of our work to another, another agency, they would have no idea. But I'd be able to kind of, you know, give them a layout of kind of what's working kind of right now. Yep. And if I get a new new brand or account, it depends if they're established or not. Like if they're established, they'll typically have a creative team in-house where I can kind of work with them hand yep. in hand. And I'll send them, I have a drive about 500 ads that I've kind of, made with other brands and I'll be like, cool, here are the best converting ads. We can take any of these, replicate them, use our product, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one good way. Love I that. also, oh yeah, if they're already doing good, I'll reuse their ads. So, I mean, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. I'll get traction with their ads, better structure, get better profitability. And then I can incorporate my ideas to where I'll be scrolling. I'll send them inspiration ideas. I'm never like, hey, we need three more ads that convert. I'll send them actual examples like, yo, I saw this one. Let's totally test this one out. So I, I, they really don't come up with too much to where I usually provide the inspiration there to an extent, cool. but they usually have some sort of assets to kind of get the ball rolling. Makes sense. Now, if they're brand spanking new, that's a whole other ballgame. I'll kind of refer them to promo or billow. It's where we can send a product, get a free influencer video for 60 bucks or something. So I kind of what, what were those resources you mentioned, and, and are those are those good for a brand that has a little traction too, or are they just yeah. mainly good for uh, startups? I think they're both killer for either, to be honest, and they're really yeah. cost effective. So promo is stock video footage. You can add overlay text. It's pretty, it's pretty cheap too. I wish I used it more, but I just have a lifetime membership, so I'm kind of stuck with it. Um, that's a great option there. But then Billo, B I L L O, I think it's dot app. I would jump on this train. We're testing two of their creatives right now and it's working really well. And the reason I say that is user-generated content's where it's at. It's different for YouTube sure. probably. Um, but people love seeing a guy like, you know, you and I on an ad versus, you know, shit, Tom Cruise. So, I mean, it's more relevant to them. So it's kind of user-generated content is where I think the platform's going. So you don't always need to have professional footage I mean, on our podcast, we had Truff Hot Sauce. We had a 20K video versus a free video. The free video whooped, you know, the, the paid video yeah. substantially when it comes to actual, you know, sales and whatnot. Yeah. So you don't always need to have professional quality stuff as long as it's relevant. You can and so Billow Billo is going to allow you to, to, to get user-generated content? Exactly. You send a Amazing. product to somebody, they record it for 60 bucks, and boom, it's usable for ads. Nice. Yeah, so we see on the on the YouTube side, and we kind of talked about this when when uh, you interviewed me, but you can still use user generated content. You just can't use like you know one fifteen second yeah. UGC video by itself. Like you need to do a UGC mashup or UGC mixed into a slightly higher production value video. So it does look different, but but yeah, I love that resource, and uh, I never heard of it before. And yeah, we we talk to clients all the time. You need good UGC. It's nice, you know, and so. Yeah, because I mean, creative, is it's what moves the needle. And I mean, a good way to put this, and I, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier on a separate podcast, but you don't always need new creative. It could be new angles to where we have a yeah. sleep product. And I think I may have talked about this on our, our podcast together, but what we're currently doing now is, you know, hey, fall asleep faster. Boom, that angle is hidden. People love it. People have so much trouble falling asleep. Now, that's going to hit a cap. You know, at, at 3K a day, we really can't scale past that. So what we did, exact same creative, but two new angles. Angle one is, you know, fall asleep and stay asleep, no more tossing and turning. Yep. That's pretty scalable too. Exact same audience, different subsection within the audience, essentially. The third angle is tired of getting up in the middle of the night to go pee. 
That's a freaking huge one. So <laughs> rather than us trying to get innovative and have different, you know, crazy creatives, the creative test for that specific week was just testing different copy angles. So I'll be honest, when it comes to creative tests, I picture creative as more of the ad itself versus a kind of a static image or just video. So where it sometimes is the copy side of things. And that's a great example of diversifying the different angles with the existing creative we have that's already working pretty well. Yeah. And then, so first of all, I lo- love those, those headlines, those angles <laughs> really directed at a problem solution, you know, type of structure. And so that's just a proven winner. So that's always worked in advertising. Problem solution has always worked. Um, and I love that, 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 and this is something important to remember is that, you know, sometimes you get these audiences that convert, right. But there are subsets of those audiences where one angle really works better than another. And if you're not testing and not properly testing, you don't know that, right. Sometimes you may have, Oh, Hey, the fall asleep faster. Like that's working. Let's just do that. Well, but if you hadn't tested the, you know, you're tired of getting up in the middle of the night to the bathroom, then you wouldn't know that, hey, actually, there's a subset that they that converts a lot better for. So, yeah, really and, powerful. And yeah, I mean, what's working best is broad targeting. I'm not going in for sleep interest or snoring interest. While those do work for quick wins, they, I don't think they're scalable and consistent, yeah. just depending on how Facebook looks at it or even we look at it. But I love having, you know, three or four active ads per audience and I'll throw in different angles there because depending on who's clicking on the ad and converting, Facebook. Facebook knows that. So, I mean, somebody who clicks on the one from, you know, peeing in the middle of the night to, you know, having tossed it and turning, those are complete different people. So Facebook will kind of find people similar to them based off those ads. So it's not only optimizing at the campaign ad set level, it's also the ad level, depending on who's clicking on it. Yep. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about campaign structure then. You alluded to a couple of things a minute ago that I want to dive into. You talked about, you know, using 10% of your budget for for testing and and 60 to 70%, I think you said to controls and you got remarketing in there. So so break that down a little bit. And I know, I know every client's gonna be a little bit different. And when you see results, you're gonna you're gonna push or shift or whatever. But what does that budget breakdown typically look like? Yeah. So basically, if we're spending a thousand bucks a day, you know, 30k a month, I would, you know trying to think what those ratios are. It's kind of a shitty one. We'll say 100K a month, basically, to make it easier. Yeah, so it's spending- way easier to do percentages when you're based on 100 of something. Yeah. I know. I was like, why would I pick 30K? <laughs> but yeah, so if we're spending 100K a month, I'll easily allocate 10K of that to testing. And those testing campaigns, those maybe 100 bucks a day, and I can have multiples of those. So it's pretty snazzy there to where you have enough wiggle room to kind of, because if I'm spending a hundred bucks a day, that's 3K a month. So I could have some hefty, I could have three or four hefty tests with that basically. So that's typically my sweet spot. Now with the retargeting, I'll push 20% of my overall budget to that. So we got hundred K, we took 10K out for testing. Let's take another 20K out for, um, you know, retargeting. And this depends on the conversion cycle, of course, yep. and you know, yep. how much volume you are kind of bringing for your kind of colder audiences. Cause I do have one account where we only spend 10% for retargeting just because anything more will break it pretty much. So it's kind of case by case, but I think a good rule of thumb is 20% of your you know overall spend. And then of course the other 70%, I would say all for cold audiences. Yeah. Very similar when we run YouTube as well. Uh, and then the remarketing could vary if it's a long sales cycle versus a couple of days sales cycle, then, then those remarketing percentages could shift a little bit. So so yeah, that's that's really cool. So, um, so we got kind of the budget breakdown. Then, then what what are you doing now in terms of campaign structure? So, so what would you what would you add to that now that we got our kind of our budget parameters laid out? Uh, laid out? 
So yeah, I typically have two or three control campaigns and one will be, you know, I'll put one ad set in it, to be honest. I'll test out one, which is wide open, maybe age, age breakdown. Like if it's no one buys under 25, I'll just make it 25, 65 plus. So I give the algorithm full room to just do its thing. And it's really just creative at that game. We just kind of input every, you know, other week, depending on what hits for the creative tests. So the control campaigns, I don't touch ever. The only thing I ever do is bump the budget up 20% or add in some fresh, you know, creative from our creative testing campaign that's proven itself. And with those control campaigns, they have really big audiences. So as mentioned, we'll go broad with literally zero. So it'll be 70 million plus. We'll do 10% look like audiences. So those are really, really fat. Those are like 20 or 30 million people. And then we'll use an interest-based campaign, which could have one or maybe two or even three ad sets with interest stacked based off what we're looking at. But those are all 30 million plus audience size as well. So the bigger the audience size, the more consistent and scalable it is from what we've noticed. And we don't even really touch those as mentioned, unless we're doing 20% budget increments daily, um, which I love to do daily. Anything more usually breaks it to an extent, extent for a couple so, of days. So maybe scaling up budget as much as 20% a day. If you go faster than that, you're, you're probably going to break something. And that's per campaign. So if I'm, you know, if I have, you know, three top of funnel campaign control campaigns at 500 bucks a day each, I could easily add on, you know, an extra 300 bucks that day. And, you know, if you're doing that every single day that you can scale pretty quick. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, compound, that yeah. compounds pretty fast. Exactly. And I mean, a good example, we had, I had one account I launched last July month one, they spent 5k month two, they spent 10k, then 15k, then 18, 24, 42k. We got the ad account shut down, only spent 40k the next month, but then this past February, we spent 70K and then we're planning to spend 140K this month. So that's kind of how we're scaling it up. I can make those bigger increment changes now that we're spending 70K plus a month, but it's a little bit more risky kind of with those smaller spins because Facebook fluctuates so much. So that worked really well for us. So if you are looking to kind of find a scalable model, and this is a a subscription, by the way, so it's not like a 3X or anything. It's like a 1.2X just because, you know, that's all, that's all you need when you get uh, you know long lifetime value and and good recurring monthly revenue. Exactly. So that's how we're scaling up that account. And the biggest way we're doing it is I'm straight up duplicating every campaign and just adding a new creative, basically. So I'll just have creative tests week three one, and then that'll just run for the week. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If it's working, I'll scale that baby up. But I start out at 100 bucks a day, so I'll go to 120, then 140, then 160, and then all the way to 200. Then I go to 240, 280, and vice versa there. And so you can scale it up somewhat kind of fast, but if I get a, an idea, or if I just get like a little thought that this could be a really good one, I will start testing, but it's at 500 bucks a day just to kind of see what happens. So it gets that data faster and then I'll shut it off in two days if it doesn't work. So it kind of depends on how much wiggle room I really have. Sure. Totally makes sense. So, so what are some, when, when you encounter a, a prospect or a client that's kind of plateaued or stalled a little bit, what are some of the common mistakes, some of the common reasons that you find that, hey, th- this is why, or these are the reasons why this account is not scaling like it like it should be? I would say retargeting and exclusions. You know, they're like the retargeting should always do way better than your top of funnel. So, I mean, whenever I see a top of funnel campaign getting a four or five X, I'm like, they're not excluding. I can almost guarantee yeah. that. That so, top of funnel campaign is actually, there's a yeah. section of it that's remarketing. And I see that a lot. I, that's I a big on one. Side. Yeah. 
And I think even ad formats, I, I, the amount of accounts I audit where they're only using carousels, only using videos or only static images. I'm like, you're throwing all your eggs in one basket, praying for the best to where I could have the same copy and which I, I love to do. And I'll have that same copy with a video static and a carousel ad, but these different ad formats have different placements in the ad auction. So yep. sometimes adding in a different creative format could lower your CPA like 10%. It's freaking right. bananas. Hmm. Do, you, do you have any, any kind of rules of thumb for, okay, we're, we're running this percentage of car- carousel ads or this percentage of static ads, this percentage of video, or is it just all dependent on, on what's working? It's depending on what's working. I would say 5% carousel ads though, um, 30% yeah. video and the remainder being static ads. Cause yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I don't see, and, and I'm not on Facebook a ton. Um, not always a fun place to hang out these days. <laughs> Depends. Great place for advertisers though. Uh, <laughs> like static ads. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, carousel ads. I don't see them that much anymore, like remarketing mainly, but not, not beyond that necessarily. So, um, Okay, super interesting. And a good little case study for that is I, I literally audited somebody last week and that they're all they were running are carousel ads for their food. And I just straight up said, make a slideshow using the same images and that lowered their CPA 15% and it took two days. Yeah. So it's it's that was a quick win. They didn't change anything, just took those images, turned into a slideshow and boom, now it's converting like crazy. Nice, so slideshow. So when you do something like that, so that's the type of thing that doesn't work on YouTube at all. But so when you do that, are you using something like Animoto or another tool like that, just create a slideshow or? So I just, so Facebook has, I don't do it very often because I don't like the Facebook creative tools, but yeah, you would just select the images and you can make a slideshow with it within Facebook natively. Gotcha. So they didn't even have an editor or anything. I just like, hey, just take those five images in the carousel and just put them in here and it did it for them basically. Nice, nice, very interesting. So it's, it's cool, but yeah. ad formats, exclusions, and I wouldn't even say too many campaigns. Okay. Facebook pushes 50 conversions a week. I think that's blasphemy. I don't believe it personally, but I do think you can spread yourself too thin to where this cosmetic uh, Facebook, and Can you explain that really quickly? They, they push 50 conversions a week. What do you, yeah. what do you mean by that? So 50 sales, you know, so if you have a campaign, you want, if, if you want a campaign to get, level, so a campaign needs to be doing 50 sales a week. Exactly. When using campaign budget optimization. So that's when you set your budget at the campaign level. But if you're setting it at the ad set level, the ad set has to get 50 conversions a week. So a conversion can be anything in Facebook size, depending on what you're optimizing for. But of course, purchase is where it's at. So then just to kind of interrupt and and talk about that for a minute. So 50 conversions. So you're, are you saying you actually think it, it could be less than 50 oh. and it does well or does it be well? Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah, so I have some brands where like, we have like $20,000 products and we only get like three or four of those a month. So I yeah. mean, it, yeah. it, the learning phase is kind of a myth in my opinion, but with those 50 conversions, where I was kind of going with that is if you have 20 campaigns and they're all getting five conversions, it's going to it's gonna take forever to get out of that learning phase and longer to optimize, which isn't that big of a deal. But if you end up having three campaigns instead of 50, where you know they had 50 conversions in each one, you're going to get a way better bang for your buck. Facebook will optimize faster. So it's basically, you know, if I had 10 campaigns at 10 bucks a day, or I could have two campaigns at 50 bucks a day, the 50 bucks a day ones are going to do way better any day of the week, just because yeah. they're getting data faster. You can optimize faster and make decisions faster versus the others. 
Yeah, I agree. And then sometimes having fewer campaigns and you're really pushing and scaling, it's just easier to manage and easier to, to pull levers on. And I think there's a lot of benefits that go into that. So, okay, that's awesome. All right, let's let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about everybody's favorite topic or depending on when you're listening to this, it may be the worst topic that you could ever have imagined. <laughs> or it could be like, oh, this is no big deal. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about iOS 14. So, so what are you telling clients now related to iOS 14? How are you preparing uh, let's walk through that a little bit. So I changed up all my, pri- all my pricing because of it, basically. So with what we're seeing on Facebook, and I'm only seeing this in one account right now, but I mean, we're getting 100 sales a day. And we used to show 85 to 90 sales attributed to Facebook, but now we're only showing 45 to 50, if, if 50. So it's dropped about 40, 50% in tracking for that specific client when everything is business as usual. So I don't really have it explanation for that except this, but there's no way to kind of gauge if that's it or not. So it kind of makes it tricky. But what we're telling all of our kind of clients is, hey, we're going to be looking at Google Analytics a lot more now to look at seven-day windows and day-to-day spend and revenue. Um, Are you guys using UTMs to track? Exactly. We went way harder with UTMs where we implemented it for everybody, basically, just because Facebook's not showing the true monetary value of most things. So rather than even doing reporting in Facebook, we do it all through Google Analytics. And the other part of this is we're probably going to see less results than we typically do because Facebook looks at 28-day click, one-day view versus seven-day click, one-day view. Now, that's not much. It could result in a few extra sales. You know, a lot of people don't convert too quick. And to combat this, shouts out Nick Shackelford. This is two for the day for you. But um, yeah, dude, hey, that, that guy's awesome, man. I, I, he and I have spoken at the same event, some of Ezra's events. Nick Shackford, real, real deal. And I believe, I believe a good soccer player, too. Uh, so, anyway, he, he's a goalie, great. I think, because I'm a goalie. And is that right? Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you're a hockey goalie. Um, I'm getting into this totally sidetracked. My, my daughter's playing lacrosse. So like, none of these sports have I ever played, but lacrosse, soccer, hockey, really. I was a basketball guy, I always have been, but fascinated by these uh, other sports that I have less experience with. They're fun. But yeah, Nick Shock, I'm, I'm meeting him in a couple of weeks. Coming to Austin for Geek Out. Shouts out, Geek Out. Nice. But um, yeah, he created a 28-day click multiplier. So essentially, I would go in through all of our ad accounts, look at six to eight months of data, gauge what's our revenue on a one-day click window, seven-day click, 28-day click. And that's for you know cold and warm audiences. So you're basically looking at past data to gauge you know, if I if I had a, a 2x on a seven-day click window, what would I be on a 28-day click? You would have to multiply this by 1.23, for example. Mm-hmm. So we have all those figures of what it could be. But what I've actually found is that the last year has just been a freaking mess. So the COVID, the elections, the uh, freeze that hit Texas, I noticed like sales were down 40 to 60% in Texas and some of the southern yeah, states. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two weeks. No way around that. So there are a lot of other variables involved to kind of make it trickier to gauge if that's kind of really the case there. But the 28-day click multiplier, that's one part of it. But I think the biggest thing is we're looking at more blended metrics and ecosystem metrics with UTM codes to kind of gauge, hey, Snapchat's doing this, Facebook's doing this. Um, There's probably going to be some overlap here, but not too much. So we just kind of changed our whole reporting model to kind of stick with percent of ad spend versus like return on ad spend and CPA because we just don't have that info like we used to. And I'll probably go to it in the future once a lot of this, uh, all the kinks get worked out. But we haven't seen much change on our end. I usually always look at stuff on a one-day click and seven-day click window. So, I mean, for those accounts that have that, nothing's changed pretty much. 
I think the hardest part is for how I'm relaying it to clients is having to, having to have them like get their domain verified, set up specific pixel events and stuff to where it's kind of a pain in the ass. So it needs to be done in order for the Facebook pixel to track this stuff. But Facebook didn't make it easy. So I think the hardest part of all of this is like the grunt work I have to deliver to my clients to be like, hey, and you just put this meta tag code in your website somewhere. I don't know where, but it's supposed to go there. So <laughs> I think the implementation side is probably the hardest part, but you know, we were just kind of proactive. We had a lot of resources involved and had calls with all of our clients to kind of give them expectations to kind of play it safe to say yep. we're proactive. But at the end of the day, the big stuff hasn't even been released yet. Right. So, I mean, I think it's just the beginning. It, it totally is. And, and we're doing a similar thing. We're, you know, sending out news and information from Google to our clients and helping them get ready. And we're not seeing any major changes yet, but I really like a few things you talked about there. One blended metrics, right? We're going to have to get more creative about how we track and attribute and how we look at overall sales lift because yeah, there's going to be some cases where Facebook maybe isn't given all the credit that it deserves or YouTube's not given all the credit it deserves, but we need to be able to look at some blended metrics to get a better idea. And I love that 28-day click multiplier. Uh, we, we do something similar but sort of reverse where we're looking at like, hey, based on a one-day CPA, here's what we expect that CPA to be in seven days or in 20, uh, 30 days. So it's a similar thing. Like, hey, if, if CPA today is 100, well, that's cool because we're expecting it to be 50 by the time we get to you know, 14, 15 days based on what the historical data and stuff. The um, other cool part with this is I have access to every channel's marketing efforts now. So yeah, I get yeah. all the reports from the Google team. So if I start noticing some discrepancies, I don't like throwing people under the bus, but like when someone's not transparent and kind of unethical about it, I have sure. no problem throwing them under the bus there to where it's, I've had it happen twice to where they were, totally look at the wrong KPIs and it turns out they're, they burned over 70 K in cash and they mm. thought they were profitable. They weren't. And I was like, dude, they have been giving you the complete wrong figures. Let me do this for you. I'll take it over. So it got me some clients. So it's kind of helped out in a way there, but I like seeing other people's marketing efforts. So, I mean, yep. yep. It's interesting. For, for sure. Good. Yeah. And I think, you know, so the blended metrics and digging in and yes, seeing all the channels tied together, that's super important. And I think it's actually going to reinforce one of the four, first points you made, which is the ad is everything. Like as, as privacy issues become tighter and there's less transparency or less ability to track, like the ads are just going to become more and more important. Like what you say, how you say it, how you deliver that ad is going to be more and more important. So uh, get it, get it right now. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And something I spoke about in another podcast is, I didn't know this would affect our ads, but what words you're using. So if you're using, hey, buy this today, you could be like, hey, grab your goodies today or something. Mm -hmm. So specifically- Buy this today sounds salesy and pushy, but get your goodies today sounds fun. And exactly. You know, they're like playing play around with that, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's an auction. So if you have, you know, a million ads with buy this today versus get your goodies today, you could convert better out to get your goodies today. And what I've noticed is whenever we're using different kind of lingo, our CPMs are about 10 to 15% cheaper, which on a massive scale, that's freaking huge. That, so, that totally impacts the rest of the math down the yeah. line, right? So so if, you, if you're worried about ROAS and CPA, which you should, impacting your CPM can definitely impact all the rest of it because that's the, you know, the, the, the leading metric there. Exactly. Um, 
leading versus lagging. Uh, awesome. So, so Dylan, this has been fantastic. We are, are uh, officially running up against time here. So I want to kind of wrap up a little bit, but, but two things, uh, one plug, plug the podcast. Like, why do you, why do you enjoy doing the podcast? If you have any recent takeaways from the podcast, and we've already shared some, so no worries if nothing else, but talk about the podcast a little bit. And then I want, uh, you to tell people about your company and how they can learn more about you there. Yeah. So for the podcast, Rich Ad Poor Ad, check it out. I think you just go to Google and type in Rich Ad Poor Ad. It's all under Funnel Dash's, you know, network. Essentially, we have a lot of great guests who spend fifty k a day, a dollar a day, organic affiliate marketers. Um, we have brand owners talk about their brand directly, agency owners, media buyers. We have literally a bit of everything on there, and it's not from you know beginners, Billy Jean, Neil Patel. Again, Brett Curry, you know, we have some legends on our podcast. So, I mean, there are a ton of actionable things because we talk about what's working, what's something that crashed and burned, and some sort of financial tip. So, it's 20 or 30 minutes of good, valuable golden nuggets to be dropped. And as mentioned, you know, I do it just to network. You know, we're probably going to monetize it. I didn't think I would ever say that, but I'm doing it strictly to, you know, meet people like Brett, you know, and just kind of level up my, you know, personal game as well. Sweet. Love it. Love it. So yeah, check it out. Rich ad, poor ad. And then your company, Quality Media. Uh, how can people learn more about your company? Any any resources? Any Anything you want to plug there? I would say find me on Twitter at Marketer Dylan or Facebook. You can just search Dylan Carpenter. Um, the website is Quality Media, K-O-A-L-I-T-Y media.co. I had an intern make it for free three years ago. I don't use it, but there may be some goodies on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that's often the sign of though, like, hey, you're just a practitioner. Like you're just, you're just doing it, man. You're, you're running the ads. You don't care about your own website. You're, you're out there making it happen. Exactly. And yeah, if, if, you, if you have questions, I'm an open book. I love, you know, ask me anything, but if, not too crazy, hopefully. But yeah, find me on Twitter or Facebook. And I, I love having conversations. Sweet. All right, man. Dylan Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, rocking it. Thanks for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Really excited to see where everything goes with, with iOS 14 and all these changes, but you dropped some amazing golden nuggets. They're going to help people no matter what happens uh, here in the future. So really appreciate it, man. Much appreciated, man. I loved it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. And hey, we'd love your feedback. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of you like to hear less of. Uh, if you have not done so and you feel so inclined, we'd love that review on iTunes. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.